to episode two of All Ears, A Child's Voice, a podcast discussing all things hearing loss. We aim to connect parents of children with hearing loss and the professionals who serve them. We're your hosts. I'm Tatum Fritz. And I'm Jessica Brock. Today is the first episode of a two-episode series about the cochlear implant process. We will be talking today with two audiologists, and next week we will talk with a parent about the process. We have fellow colleagues Dr. Don Violetto and Dr. Megan Wernsman with us today. Welcome, Megan and Don. Hello. Hello. Dawn is the director of audiology at Child's Voice, and Megan works as a pediatric audiologist here at Child's Voice. Megan and Dawn, would you like to share some about your role here at Child's Voice? I'm Dr. Dawn Violetto. As Mm -hmm. uh, Jessica said, I'm the director of audiology at Child's Voice, and um, I have lots of of jobs here at Child's (laughs) Voice, part of which is taking care of the children in the school and the early intervention program. Um, And then we also see patients from the outside for hearing testing and device support. And then we also see babies from uh, newborn hearing screening referrals that uh, need diagnostic testing. So we're very busy here (laughs) in the audiology department most of the time. (laughs) Megan, do you want to share? Everything that Dawn just said, I'm a part of. (laughs) And then the only thing that differs um, from me is I go to Chicago once a month and um, see the families that are in the toddler group in the Chicago location just kind of help them out, answer questions, check devices, things like yeah. that. Awesome. Okay, so today we will be talking with Megan and Don about their experience counseling families through the cochlear implant process. But before we dive into today's topic of discussion, Megan and Don, do either of you have any favorite work stories that you'd like to share from the past week? Well, this is the last week of summer school, mm-hmm. so this is the week that our recent graduates it's the last time they'll be in the building so Mm -hmm. I think this week is always happy and sad because we've seen a lot of these children and I've seen a lot of these children for the last seven years come from Mm -hmm. early intervention all the way up to graduating so when they I've seen them come in with no language and then I've seen them walking out the door not stopping talking so (laughs) that's kind of what I'm seeing this week and thinking in my mind the observing that how great it is that these kids have achieved what they have in such a short period of time and mm-hmm. are on their way back to mainstream and are doing great. It's a bittersweet mm-hmm. moment. It, it is. Like. Yeah. Megan, do you have any cute stories from this week? Well, I am pregnant and my belly has like popped all of a sudden. <laughs> and so I feel like every time I walk past kiddos, like this week especially, yeah. they've been like, there's a baby in there. <laughs> and like, what are you feeding your baby? I get a lot of like interesting questions over the past like week, week and a half, just because everyone's kind of noticing, noticing. now. Yeah, that's really funny. Which is fun and yeah. starts up some interesting conversations. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> what are you feeding your baby? That's yeah, really that funny. Really fun <laughs> well, awesome. Should we jump into our main discussion now? Sure. To start, why don't we describe for our listeners who may not know what a cochlear implant is? So, Don, Megan? Sure. So, a cochlear implant, just to kind of put it simply, is a device for children with like severe enough hearing loss where hearing aids aren't helping them Mm -hmm. and it kind of just replaces a part in the inner ear that's not functioning like it should and provides that electrical stimulation to the nerve and then the nerve sends that signal to the brain. The cochlear implant has like both an internal component which is implanted which is why it's called a cochlear implant Mm -hmm. and then an external component which is the external processor that picks up the sound. Gotcha. Cool. That was a very, that was a much better definition than I give. I feel like I ramble on and on. This is very succinct. Yeah. So that was more awesome. More succinct. I have to like go through like, this is like the outer ear and then the cochlea and then this is where the word comes from. But 
That's a great way to (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you kind of already mentioned this, but talk to us a little more about like who benefits from a cochlear implant. Children or adults who have hearing loss, a a certain type of hearing loss. So Mm -hmm. um, if you have a hearing loss that's involved, you you kind of brought up the outer or the middle ear. This device isn't for those patients that Mm -hmm. have hearing loss where there's middle ear involvement. Mm -hmm. But if there's damage to the cochlea and it's severe enough where hearing aids aren't appropriate for them, they're not providing appropriate amplification and they're not getting access to speech and developing speech and language like they should, then a cochlear implant can provide enough stimulation to give them access. Uh, Did that answer the question? Yes. yes. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I heard you mention like children and adults. How Mm -hmm. early could a family start considering a cochlear implant? So really, because a part of our role here at Child's Voice is to see those babies after they haven't passed their newborn hearing screening in the hospital, we kind of bring that up pretty early. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely we want to make sure that they're not getting benefit from hearing aids, but if we don't get any response on an auditory brainstem response test, then that's kind of our our next step is just to just mention a cochlear implant, but of course to fit hearing aids to see if they get benefit from hearing aids. So, I mean, you can start that conversation as early as they're diagnosed Mm -hmm. if the hearing loss is severe enough, but really the conversation for most kiddos comes when we start to see that even with the hearing aid, they're not making the progress that they need to. So the conversation can start pretty early, but when when are children allowed to become implanted? So I think the earliest we've had a child implanted here is eight months of age. Mm-hmm. Um, so somewhere between you know eight months and a year is typically what we're seeing. A lot of these profound hearing impaired mm-hmm. children being implanted if it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing is no one wants to do surgery if hearing aids will work. Mm-hmm, and so yeah. you really have to give hearing aids a try and make sure that the kiddo isn't making good enough progress with a hearing aid to, mm-hmm. to really... Um, Acquire speech and language. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the goal of a cochlear implant is the parent's goal is that the child acquires speech and language and has normal speech and language just like their hearing peers. That's the point of getting a cochlear implant. And so that's why we have to make sure very carefully that it's their appropriate candidate. Definitely, definitely. So part of the process of determining whether or not they're an appropriate candidate is getting um, reliable hearing tests through a variety of different means, right? What other steps are there? You've mentioned some of them, but so the family comes in, they get a hearing test of some sort, and then what? So it's we, we do a variety of tests as far as the battery goes, and it really depends on the age of the child and mm-hmm. where their language is already. Mm-hmm. So we definitely have to do unaided testing to support the fact that they have severe to profound hearing loss. And then we do aided testing to show this is how they're hearing with their hearing aids in, mm-hmm. in the best case scenario. There is a whole battery of things that the family has to go through, not necessarily at a, an audiology center, but it might be at the actual implant center. You know, mm-hmm. they meet with a team over there where they have to have imaging studies done, um, CT and an MRI, mm-hmm. to make sure that the structures of the ear are going to be able to receive a cochlear implant because some forms of hearing loss, that's not the case, and they would no longer be appropriate. And then just basic health 
and history to make sure that there's no other health issues that would preclude them from being anesthetized and going under surgery. Process, yeah, yeah. it's not a one-time shot. It's definitely a process, and yeah. you know, it's not just what we're showing in the audiology booth. It's mm-hmm. also what therapists are showing in the home and their input as to whether the child is making appropriate development or not mm-hmm. with their speech and language and listening mm-hmm. skills. Yeah, so the recommendation doesn't just come from you. It comes from... It can come from, I would say, the team approach. So I think the actual referral to an implant center would come from us. But, you know, as far as, like, input as to what where this child is and their progress and that they're a candidate mm-hmm. comes from the team. There's a lot of work that goes into determining yeah. that it's appropriate for that child because we don't want to do surgery if it's not appropriate. Yeah, I feel like with my families, after they go through the candidacy process, another process that takes longer is the insurance process. Mm -hmm. So how does insurance play a role in the cochlear implant process? (laughs) We all sigh. Well, unfortunately, sometimes the insurance are the nay and the yaysayers of it all. Um, I I feel like less so than before. You know, 10 years ago, there was a lot of oh, it's an experimental, you know, kind of device. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think they get that kind of pushback. We don't deal on that end of it, so it's, I can't really give you firsthand, but through hearing from families we know and through talking with the people at the hospital that sometimes it is a process to go through. Certain insurances set specific guidelines that need to be met in order for them to pay for the surgery. So some of those guidelines are are what we're using to see whether or not they fit the criteria to be a cochlear implant candidate. And then you submit to the insurance company and like Dawn said, they agree to it or they say no. Nowadays it's it's pretty rare that they're not approved. Yeah, I know I have had to write um, letters to the insurance company on request of the hospitals for some of my kids. Yep. It most recently came up with a family that wanted to get the implants before 12 months of age. He ended up getting approved for one at eight or nine or 10 months, I guess. And then the other one, he could not start going through the insurance process until he was over 12 months. It's, it's all about red tape and paperwork and money out that company. So Jumping through hoops. So there are many steps before a child gets a cochlear implant, but then what happens? So the family goes in for surgery, and then what happens after that? So typically the family waits anywhere from a couple of weeks to about a month for healing, and then they go in and see the surgeon again um, who just checks the incision site, makes sure that everything looks good, and they, they clear them for what's called activation. And activation is the really exciting day where they come in and they bring their whole kit with their external processors and all their goodies and the external component the processor is turned on and we create what's called a map and it's basically when the internal device is called uh, well part of the internal device is called an electrode array and it has so many electrodes on there and so you have to measure those electrodes and make sure that the internal component is working like it should and then setting up stimulation so that they can start to hear that day can take a couple of hours but then that whole process of fine-tuning that can take months (laughs) months <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's important to know that you're not going in for that initial ac- activation and coming out 
hearing perfectly. It's definitely cochlear implants bring a lot of hope to families, and they should because they're really amazing things. But the, after that initial activation, these kiddos, even adults, aren't going to be hearing like we would expect them to. Over a couple of months, oftentimes they're up close to that normal range. Yeah, so they have to go back for follow-up appointments and new maps are created based on where they're hearing and then new maps are created again. So it is a process. You can't just you can't just turn up the dial on hearing and be like, there you go, see you later in six months. It has to be a very gradual process in building up the toleration to stimulation and sound. Yeah, because when we're talking about babies being implanted, they haven't heard any sound before typically or they've heard very, very little. Mm-hmm. So it would be like... I don't know, going to a rock concert for the first, you know, it was yeah. it's, it would just be really shocking, um, mm-hmm. and we don't want them to right. not want their cochlear implant <laughs> exactly. on, right? Yeah. Which is why we start a little bit more conservatively, so mm-hmm. we know that they have some access, but it's not optimal. It's not where we want it to be, but they, we, you know, we're starting that process of giving them access to, mm-hmm. to sound. I know when our and maybe as therapists have had the experience of like a family wishes they were hearing more sooner at home. Mm -hmm. Usually in the pre-implantation process, we're going through these six sounds, the link six sounds to see what they're hearing. And then a lot of my families are expecting like day one, Mm -hmm. they're going to come to therapy and turn to all six sounds or they're going to turn to every instrument that we play or every voice or their name like right away. And so I know, like, it's very important, I feel like, on our end, like, we see it, like, to explain, like, how long the mapping process can take. Not only the mapping process, too, but also Mm -hmm. the learning process. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if a child gets activated at 12 months, very often you have to consider them as a newborn as far as hearing goes. So Mm -hmm. they have to go through the process of learning what sound is and what it means. And they're not going to turn to their name on day one. Mm -hmm. Not turn to a banging of a drum on day one because they don't know what a banging of a drum is. So, you know, it's like teaching them to listen and learn and hear. That sound even has meaning and that it's worth paying attention to (laughs) (laughs) or showing us that they are paying attention to it, right? So sometimes it's, sometimes we think, oh, we think they hear it, but they're not even really understanding how to show us that they hear it. So it's a, it's a long process. (laughs) You guys Um, can attest to that more than you see them weekly. Yes, yes, we can. So it it takes a little while, but once the, the kiddos are fully mapped and they're expected to have like you know good as good of access to sound as they're going to have what does a what does that mean like what does a cochlear implant sound like to our kids you can't ask a kid what it sounds like Mm because they'll just say like it sounds like sound those that can then tell you that um, Mm -hmm. when we've talked to adults and the adults have described how things sound to them who have something to compare to they had sound at one point and lost it and now they've got hearing again they've often described it at first as being robotic some say Mickey Mouse, some say Donald Duck, some say everything. But very robotic is the one word that they come up with. However, if you talk to them again at certain periods of time, that that perception is gone. So it just becomes a normalized sound. So when you're talking about a child who's had no access to sound, what they have access to is what they've only ever heard. And what we have to say is the children with good access with their implants their speech sounds very normal compared to normal hearing peers. So we know that what they're getting through their implant is very close to normal hearing speech because otherwise they wouldn't sound as normal as they do. Right, right. The input matches the output to some extent. Exactly. What they hear is what they say. There was a cool 
study. It was, it's a video mm-hmm. that I, I don't know if it's on YouTube. It probably is at ASU where um, it was a girl who I think was unilaterally implanted. So she has normal um, hearing in one ear and then um, severe to profound hearing loss in the other ear. And she got an implant. And after it was mapped, kind of what they went through and presented her with different like sound clips yeah sound clips of how like so that we could hear what it sounded like to her and it sounded remarkably close to like what the normal passage sounded like which was seen that have you seen seen it it. we should put it we should put the youtube video on our show notes so our listeners can yeah i think there are some there's a lot of videos out there on the internet and some of them are good and some of them Mm -hmm. are a little bit misleading unless you know what you're listening to because i think there's one out there that takes you through different channel implants Mm -hmm. like a one channel implant Mm -hmm. which is what they first came up with in the 80s um to a two channel to a six channel to a 16 channel to a 22 channel so i mean everything that we have now from all manufacturers is top of the line and it's not the same as a one-channel implant, which yeah. sounded like nothing that you've ever heard before and yeah. wouldn't want to listen to that mm-hmm. all day if that's what you could hear. So be very careful when you're surfing mm-hmm. the Internet that, you know, what you're listening to is from a, a reputable site, you know, yeah. AAA, ASHA, <laughs> those kind of sites, mm-hmm. um, which is the American Academy of Audiology and the American Speech-Language Hearing Association. Mm-hmm. Just be careful what, what you're landing on because some of them can tend to be a little bit biased. Yeah. Yes, I have seen that video yep. that goes through. I feel like that's one of the first videos that I've ever mm-hmm. seen. My undergraduate program was a little biased, and mm-hmm. that was how we were exposed to what a cochlear implant was. But even then, even so, if that's what it sounds like to us, with normal hearing, your brain gets used to it if you have mm-hmm. it implanted, um, and that's the way you listen. So even adult, I've heard, like over time it becomes normal right. sounding to them. Mm-hmm. Even the adults that are seeing it sounds like Donald Duck in the beginning. Yeah, I think also there are a ton of different factors that impact outcomes and what sound is going to sound like. So I think talking to other people and asking questions is really good, but also communicating with your audiologist and the implant team in terms of what the expectations are, because from child to child, it can vary a lot. Mm -hmm. Is Mm -hmm. that accurate? Yes, absolutely accurate. Don touched on it earlier that you have to do medical imaging, so we need to make sure that the structures will take an implant. Part of that is the auditory nerve and whether that's intact or mm-hmm. whether you know there may be some differences where it may be a little bit smaller and all of those things factor into how a child will perceive sound. Speaking of that, that's probably something that you have to counsel families beforehand about like what their outcomes could be. What types of counseling do you provide to families as they're going through the process? Well, I think we've kind of talked about a lot of it already as mm-hmm. far as like timelines for procedures and activations mm-hmm. and ability to be able to hear with the device, whether our expect uh, expectations of what the child is going to be able to hear with the device, which are going to vary greatly based on what the cause of the hearing loss is or the etiology of the hearing loss is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to be you know, careful about what we expect, what parents expect. We counsel a lot about the different manufacturers of devices and discuss with them each one, helping them to make an informed decision about which one's going to work for their child and their family. That's Mm -hmm. a big one that we spend a lot of time on, actually. (laughs) The great news is that these parents have 
three great manufacturers with three great arrays of devices that are all very reliable and all give the kids great access to sound. I always liken it to being choosing between like a Lexus, a Cadillac, <laughs> and a Range Rover. I mean, like a Mercedes, because they're they're literally choosing that kind of technology for mm-hmm. their child. So there's not one bad choice. It's really more what you know. Parents touch it, they hold it, they feel it, they take it apart what they're going to be comfortable with. So that we spend a lot of time on. What what are the top questions that you get during the process? Do any questions pop up a lot? I think the the question the first question is always like, well, which one do you think is better? <laughs> yeah. I've been asked that before. Yeah, exactly. like, uh, <laughs> which we're not salespeople, and it makes no difference to us which manufacturer that they choose. So it's hard to answer that question because my answer is they're all good. There's mm-hmm. not a bad decision that you can make here. What questions do you get about the surgery itself, or do most of those questions get directed to the to the doctor? They're mostly asking the surgeon those mm-hmm. questions. I feel like I have just kind of said in general, it's actually like not, even though it's invasive, it's on the head. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a surgery and mm-hmm. it's on the head, but mm-hmm. it's shorter than you might expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the healing process is quicker than you might expect it to be as well. But again, it's a surgery and they're under anesthesia. So I generally just give those two statements and then have them direct like specific questions to the surgeon. I think parents just want to know, like, would you do this to your child? They, they, they want to know that this is okay. You're on board with this. You, you understand where I'm coming from. But, you know, to know that, that it's not just us saying, well, go ahead and put an implant there, you know, yeah. that, that there really is thought behind our recommendations and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we have principles that we, we stick to and, and we wouldn't recommend it unless we felt like, you know, it was absolutely necessary. I think the biggest apprehension for everybody is putting a child under anesthesia at yeah. eight months, nine months, ten months, yeah. and we all get it. You know, even yeah. putting an adult on it, we all get it. It's, and scary. it's not only that, but it's, you know, that handing your child over to somebody. Yeah. You're the parent. You're making all these decisions, and there comes a time where you have to release that child and hand them over to a team of excellent professionals. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of apprehension around that, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's a big part of it as well. That's important to remember, I feel like, as someone who doesn't have kids, it's still hard for me to envision, like, how scary it is. Mm-hmm. I can be sympathetic, but not really empathetic to it. I'm like, it's you just do it already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. um, it's important to remember that I don't know what it's like to have a child. And yeah. how, like, you know. have to make that decision. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. And and it is a life changing decision for that mm-hmm. child and yeah. that family too. I mean, yeah. it it absolutely is a life changing decision. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like any surgery. There's no guarantees of success. Right. Can I tell you that most of them are successful? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 99.9% of these surgeries are successful, but, yeah. you know, there's always that 1% that mm-hmm. things don't go as planned. You know, whether the implant doesn't work or the implant fails or it's not in the right spot, you know, it's so rare, but it mm-hmm. does happen, and you have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Besides, like, apprehension about the surgery itself, can you think of any other reasons why a family might... Um, not be ready or not want to go through with with the cochlear implant process. I I think sometimes parents have a hope that if they wait 
something better is going to come down the line. You know, there's yeah. just, somebody's always doing research. Somebody's always saying something about repairing hair cells and restoring mm-hmm. hearing. And so I think, you know, a lot of times as well, you know, maybe if I wait six months something or a year, something else will come down mm-hmm. that I don't need surgery for. We are not even close to restoring hearing for sentinel hearing losses mm-hmm. at this point. But I think there's always that hope. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of them hold on to that. And I think there's a lot of family dynamics that we may not be privy to as providers. And, w- you know, like you said, we're just like, just do it already. <laughs> but, you know, like there, there might be family dynamics happening there behind the scenes that mm-hmm. we don't know what what is happening and, mm-hmm. and can't understand why they haven't moved forward, even though it's appropriate. Yeah, I think some of those those family factors are families are experiencing those whatever that might be all day long all week long and then they come into this one room at, at, at into an audiologist's office and one person is telling them this but the entire rest of their world is telling them don't do it right yeah. so um, I think that that can be hard even as a provider who goes into these families homes sometimes it's hard to to understand what that might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is like also a normalization factor for us because we work with these children every day. Mm-hmm. But a lot of families, I would say but most families have probably never seen a cochlear implant before, right? That's yeah. very true. And mm-hmm. I think that's the importance of family to family connection as well. You know, whether it's here at Child's Voice, the parent groups, the EI groups, the baby groups, touring the school, seeing how successful children can be. But also the manufacturers themselves offer connecting groups, you know, for parents if they're considering it. Mm-hmm. Um, parents can take their child and see an adult with a cochlear implant, you know. So, yeah. you know, just getting that exposure because it is so what we call low incidence, which means it doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. And so getting exposure to other families and people that have gone through the process is also very important. Yeah, I've seen that be really helpful for some of my families. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they have so many questions like what you know what does it even look like and like looking up pictures online isn't the same as seeing it right. on a person um, I think those are really valuable connections to offer to families I think we're almost ready to close out but before we do do either of you have a favorite success story to share yeah I, I remember um, a child who was a recent graduate a couple of years ago a year ago so um, when she came to my office for the first time for a tour to the school she was um two mm-hmm. um and not not walking yet and mm-hmm. had just gotten implanted and had no language and no speech mm-hmm. wasn't really even responding to sound and also had been diagnosed with um a vision issue as well so mm-hmm. we know she's going to lose her hearing uh, her vision as well and graduated and gave the best speech I had ever heard anybody give at graduation and these are seven-year-old kids that get up in front of on the stage in front of in an auditorium in front of hundreds of people Mm -hmm. and her speech was beautiful her language Mm -hmm. is beautiful and that one actually kind of made me a little teary (laughs) that's awesome Mm -hmm. yeah I don't have like one particular story, but I just, just to play off of what you said, I mean, I think that there are so many stories that are similar, not in, you know, her diagnosis, the vision left, those things, but just the fact that like these kiddos have, have nothing and then they're implanted and as long as they're getting like the appropriate therapy and follow through Mm -hmm. I mean they end up going to their mainstream schools and succeeding and I mean we have alumni who are 
I mean, Mitch is a perfect example mm-hmm. who's here now teaching. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like a lot of our alumni are in college and mm-hmm. many yeah. of them have cochlear implants. And I think it's all thanks to that technology as well as people like you guys Aww. and the teachers <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and the families really for mm-hmm. um, buying into the whole process. I mean, it is a process, but mm-hmm. it's so worth it. It's really just, I mean, I think like every year I'm emotional because I'm pregnant, but I'm like, going to start crying <laughs> Every year I'm like, at the graduation, yeah. it's just like, it blows me away. Yeah. yeah. I love the graduation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap up. <laughs> yes. um, Dawn and Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and listeners, we would love to hear from you. So therapists, audiologists, teachers of the deaf, what's your experience counseling families through the cochlear implant process? What challenges do you run into? What questions do families ask you? Parents, if you've already been through the process, what was your experience like? What recommendations do you have for other families? If you're going through the process process now, what questions do you have about the process? What has been your experience so far? And then next time we'll be talking with a parent about her experience going through the cochlear implant process with her son and her advice for parents who are new to the process. Yes, be sure to join us next time. We had a great time today getting the audiologist perspective. We loved having Don and Megan on. Um, and we were very excited next time to be able to speak to a parent about her own experience. We think it will be a great episode. As always, we release new episodes every other week on Wednesdays. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of All Ears at Child's Voice. We're your hosts. I'm Tatum Fritz. And I'm Jessica Brock. As always, we're on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at Tatum Fritz SLP, and you can find Jessica at Jessica Brock SLP. You can also email us at podcast at childsvoice.org and find episode show notes and archived episodes at Child's Voice's website, childsvoice.org. And if you're interested in learning more about Child's Voice, Child's Voice is on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram with the handle at child's underscore voice, no apostrophe. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye Bye-bye. And from our friends at Child's Voice. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.